This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Lone Star Motel in Table Rock, Wyoming. For your next sweaty, anonymous, romantic trucker rendezvous, come to the Lone Star and don't forget to bring the pink champagne. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's April Fool's Day this week on Pod Cemetery with a bunch of movies that kick off the conflict with a prank gone wrong. This week we have 1981's The Burning as our classic film and stretching our definition of modern just a little bit, 2001's Joyride. So let's get right into our first film, 1981's the Burning, directed by Tony Malum, with an original story by Harvey Weinstein, yuck. Mm-hmm. Tony Malum and Brad Gray, with a screenplay by Peter Lawrence and Bob Weinstein. I hesitate to say the good Weinstein, but I think demonstrably the better Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Brian Matthews, Leah Aries, Brian Backer, Larry Joshua, Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, and Holly Hunter, which was really weird. This cast is nuts. Yeah. Anyway, what is the burning about, Kelsey? What do you think it's about? A guy gets <laughs> burned at the beginning of the movie. And a prank gone wrong. Yes. Uh, and then five years later, he just kills a bunch of people. Like, there's no, there's not a lot of a plot going on here. Yeah. It is based on the Cropsey UL. Oh, just my favorite UL. Which we have covered in the past before with 1981's, yes, same year, Madman. Uh, and that was in episode 200, actually, interestingly. <laughs> we did that with Fear Street, right? Yeah, Fear Street Part 2. Uh, so this is our second Cropsey movie. Cropsey is, in fact, an urban legend, but it was a real killer. There were kids that were disappearing and they didn't know what was happening to them. And so they made up this character of Cropsey to explain it all as like, you know, oh, be good or Cropsey will kidnap you or whatever and you'll disappear. And then turns out he was a real serial killer and he he ended up getting caught. This, of course, as I mentioned, is kind of the brainchild of the Weinstein brothers, and it's really what sort of launched their careers. If it wasn't for this movie, we wouldn't have a fuck ton of other movies. We also would not have given Harvey Weinstein the opportunity to be a total fucking bastard. Mm -hmm. So, ah, I just want to get it out there. Harvey Weinstein fucking sucks and no glory to Weinstein. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The movie is available via Tubi with ads, and that's basically it. Although you can find it on YouTube. Kelsey, should people watch The Burning? Weinstein aside. No, it's like, I I remember when I watched Mad Men, I was really excited for Mad Men because it seems right up my alley. And this seems right up my alley. Totally. There, there is no effort here. There is no, 
there are no twists, there are no turns, there's nothing. It's just that this guy was burned, he's let go from the hospital, and then he just kills a prostitute for some reason, and then a bunch of kids that had nothing to do with it, and then finally, one person that matters. And I'm just like, okay. Like, yeah. What it, was the point of this movie? I gotta say, it's kind of remarkably boring. Yes. Like, there's a lot of just watching kids camping I for a just long told time. You the entire movie. Right. Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but. Friday the 13th did it, you know, like <laughs> sort of the Simpsons did it, right? Yeah, Friday the 13th did it better, you know, regardless of what came first. Yes, this movie was written before Friday the 13th came out. Yes, it was. That doesn't make it better. Right. Friday the 13th was better. I'm sorry. It just was. And that was even before Jason was this scarred killer of campers, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just I mean, I know this movie has some sort of love Surrounding it. Like, it is a Tom Savini movie. It is the reason why he didn't work on uh, part two, I think it is, of Friday the 13th. Because he was doing this instead. You know why Friday the 13th works and this doesn't work? Why? Because you don't know who the killer is the entire movie. Yeah, but then after that, every other movie you do. So, or almost every other movie you do. Right. But at that point, they had kind of built up this lore. And then it was this supernatural thing this is just a mad guy a guy that's mad i will say there is one twist in this movie and yes some of the special effects are really good the cropsy mask is terrible the burned face it's awful but even tom savini admits that he said he just had no time they made it in like two days or something like that but Everything else, like, looks good. Fisher Stevens gets his fingers cut off, and that looks good. Like, you know, yeah, there's some good effects in here. Savini is doing good stuff. But even still, it happens a couple of times, and most of the movie is just nothing happening. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of teen drama, which, again, you'd be like, isn't that exactly what you want? Yes, it has... It has, but it's not good teen drama. It, exactly. <laughs> it has all the things I want, all the elements, but they're terribly executed. Mm -hmm. It is so fucking boring. There is this scene where they are in canoes and they're just splashing each other for like uh -huh. three minutes. And it's pretty late in the movie, <laughs> too. It's like, okay, we should have established that these are all friends and they're having fun <laughs> together. We don't need more of this. It's probably not three minutes. So yeah, it's, it's not, but still... You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1981's The Burning. This summer, if you're planning to go camping, don't. If you're looking forward to midnight swims, don't. Sneak on back to the campsite. Get some matches. Build us a hot fire. Don't be wrong. And if you're thinking about being with someone where no one can see you, don't. Legend of Terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. Burned alive, cried out. I will return. I will have my revenge. He lives on whatever he can catch. Right now, he's out there watching, waiting. Who's there? What happened one 
summer five years ago is about to happen again. And again. And again. The Burning. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the burning begin? We start out at Camp Blackfoot. Yep. Which is only important because later you won't be at Camp Blackfoot. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar sort of thing to Friday the 13th, right? We're like just across the lake, you know, this or whatever. Yes. Camp Blackfoot, there's a group of boys and they're saying, you know, tonight's the night. Old Crops, he's going to get it. He's going to get what's coming to him for what he did to Snoop, which we laugh at yep. because every time you we hear that Snoop or Scoop, we think, yeah. <laughs> now they call me Poop. Now they call me Poop. People call me Poop. And he says, oh, he beat Jamie up for doing absolutely nothing. And you might be thinking, oh, these dickhead kids are going to mess with this adult because he's trying to keep them in line. But no, apparently. No, he's apparently terrible. Uh, yeah. Apparently the truth is he really just does terrorize children. Uh-huh. Okay. They're like, woohoo, get the matches, get the matches. Now, here's the thing. It's a group of boys. They say their names maybe once. Yeah, they, like, go around the table about, like, why why are you doing this to Cropsy? And why are you doing this to Cropsy? I simply assumed that these must be the kids he's going after. Like, I was like, he can't just be killing random people. But apparently... Only one of these people yeah, is important. One of these kids is important. And I don't even think he's the ringleader. He's not. I mean, that's the thing, because we're going to get later on when things go poorly. So what they're doing is they're setting up in his cabin what looks like a fake head. How they got it, it's like I don't a know. Fake skull. Yeah. And it has like bugs and stuff, but they treat it Worms. as a jack-o'-lantern. And they put lot And they put uh, candles, candles inside, in. right? And this is going to get knocked over when Cropsy wakes up and he freaks out. And then he has like a tank full of gasoline and stuff that's going to set the whole thing ablaze and him. And somebody yells, holy shit, we got to get him out of there. I think that's our guy that we will be seeing in the movie later on. Because I, I was surprised that they're like, oh, I guess they're supposed to be at least a little sympathetic, or at least the one person who yells that. One person says that. Uh-huh. All the others are like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Yes, uh-huh. I'm just like, does, was no one else taught to stop, drop, and roll? Is that not a thing? Right. Right. Stop, drop, and roll, people. <laughs> but anyway, he just burns alive in front of these kids. And I'm like, I don't even know how he would know who did it. He probably has his assumptions. I guess. But also, like... It's not even clear later on that he's going after this no, one guy. exactly. I don't even think he knows that that's the same person. Right. He's just randomly just killing people. he wants to kill kids at this camp. Uh-huh. He just hates kids now because the kids children. did it to him. Right. Like, I mean, I guess is a reason enough, but, like, but the movie boring. tries to inject some sort of meaning into it at the end, and it's just not there. And it's boring. It's yeah. a boring plot. Like... Usually when there is a prank gone wrong, usually you're unclear about who it is and who's going to be the killer, you know? Like, it's the same group of friends, but sometimes they all, it's the but victim, they all sometimes have significant it's not. others, yeah, uh-huh. you know? Like, or yeah. somebody just shows up out of nowhere. Like, and you're supposed to wonder who it is. That's not what's happening here. This person is burned alive. He survives. And then he just decides to kill people. 
it's not interesting in any way, and there is no right. tension and, in this and movie. And they, they do telegraph that from a mile away, because what's going to happen next is he's going to go to the hospital, he's going to have all these terrible burns, and it's and end up going to be... Like five years later, and even the people who work there like are assholes to him. Oh yeah, there's like that nurse who's talking to the new doctor, and he's like, "You got if you want to be a doctor here, you're gonna have to get a look at this guy, and he's gonna, you know, shock you to your soul." And then sure enough, he wakes up and like attacks that nurse, and then the doctor runs away. Yes. Uh, but five years later, he's going to get out, and then we're just gonna follow him. He's gonna, like you say, he's gonna kill this sex worker, and then he's gonna go to the camp. And it's like there's there is, like you say. No tension. We know exactly who he is. We know exactly why he's there. We know exactly where he's going and what he's doing. There's no confusion whatsoever. As opposed to, hey, this guy just burns. And then suddenly, five years later, people start dying at the camp. Is it that guy? Is he back? Like, no, we know. We follow him. He is back. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. At one point, I thought they were trying to make it the new weirdo who we know Alfred from Fast Times at Ridgemont High the new weirdo that we know from Fast Times at Ridgemont High I was like oh are they gonna make it him and that it's just it just happens to be at the same time that this guy was released that would at least be something but he's a kid and the guy that they burned was an adult so. right no I thought that he heard the cropsy tale uh -huh. and took on that persona or it turns out he's cropsy's son something yeah, like that uh -huh. but nothing no he's just a weirdo he's just and a he obsesses over this bully to. and there's no explanation as to why yeah it felt like there were parts that were just taken out of this movie that you're just like there's gotta be a reason these two hate each other, right? Or they were trying to do some sort of cliche or evoke some sort of feeling, and they just weren't good at it. And you're supposed to feel kind of sorry for him, and I'm like, I don't feel I don't. sorry for a guy who all. prowls around in the girl's bathroom to get back at, at a dude, at a guy who they weren't even apparently they weren't even actually dating. Because he likes this girl, but she is, I thought she was with this guy, but apparently yeah. she's so, not. So Alfred, our weirdo, is going to look at one of the girls, I think it's Sally, right? Sally in the shower because Glazer likes Sally and is sort of called dibs on her. And because Glazer is kind of mean to Alfred, Alfred looks at the girl he likes in the shower and that's his revenge? Like, okay, first of all, real shitty to Sally. But second of all, how is that revenge on Glazer? And third of all, what did Glazer even do to Alfred in the first place? Exactly. We, we never, never find out. It's Glazer's mad at Alfred because he's being a creep, and he is. Yes, exactly. And now it's weird because the rest of us are like, that guy's just a fucking weirdo. And like everybody seems more mad at Glazer than they are at this guy. And the one this Glazer's a meathead and he's overly aggressive and he's too much of a, you know, kind of a, that sort of toxic masculinity thing going on for him. And so people don't like that. And the head counselor who tells the weirdo that it's OK, we find out later the reason that he does that is because he's the one who set the guy on fire. Todd. So, like, it makes sense that he'd be like, give him another chance, I guess. 
What's also weird is this weird dynamic with all the friends, right? So Dave, who's Jason Alexander. Right. Jason Alexander seems to love this weirdo, and I and, don't and, get why. And Woodstock, who's Fisher Stevens. Like, they're all friends with Alfred, and they're like, kind of like, hey, buddy, like, I, yeah, I know you're weird, but we'll be like your big brothers or something like that, right? And I'm fine with that dynamic, but they're also all friends with Glazer as well. And it's not like, well, we'll be friends with you and friends with you, but you two hate each other. No, like, the whole group, including including Alfred and Glazer are always just hanging out with each other. It's bizarre. Yeah, it is weird. It's, it's just, a, it, this movie has no budget. This movie, mm-hmm. there was no ta- time taken. There was no effort put into this. It's so much of the movie is just dedicated to seeing these kids just hang out together. Yeah. Cause they didn't know what they were doing when they made this movie. Yeah. Like, it was like, Hey, what do horror movies have? They've got a naked girl, so let's get a prostitute in here at one point for him to kill. For well, no Well, they didn't even reason. need it because Sally gets naked in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, somebody else gets naked later. Karen, I think it is, right? Doesn't she get naked later? So, like, if you wanted nudity, you got it. We did not need this extra kill. What's funny is that, like, the most, like tense moment I felt was this part where you didn't know if he was going to kill this little girl, one of the campers. But it's like, why would he kill her? She's in the middle of a softball game. If he killed her, everyone would know he was there. Uh Uh-huh. So there's a lot of those moments. Like, I think we talked about it last week, too. When a movie is very obviously trying to draw out tension from the scene, but there just isn't any. And so instead, we're just watching something play out very slowly and... It's not tense at all. Mm-hmm. And we have to watch this stupid relationship between this girl and this guy. And she's like, sometimes he scares me. And she's like, so ditch him. Oh, this is Eddie, who's a total douchebag. Yes. So her friend tells her, okay, ditch him. And she's like, but sometimes I really like him. And the girl's like, then get the fuck over it. And then later he's going to twice tr- like try to get in her pants and she's gonna twice turn him down and then he's gonna tell her to get the fuck out of his face and I'm just like great now I know why Weinstein is the way that he is like right. no fucking wonder that he wrote this fucking shit and why is there Eddie and Glazer why aren't they the same character I don't know I have written down here I think I should probably point it out here because I'm not gonna be able to do it any other time Some of this soundtrack is fucking incredible. And some of it is just so odd and weird. Like, it has that sort of 80s synth horror movie soundtrack, which I just love. But then, yeah, some of it's just weird, odd. Like, why is this the soundtrack to this moment? And I can't really put my finger on it now. It's been a couple days since since we watched it. But I just remember thinking that. Like, just it was whiplash with the soundtrack. I didn't write anything down about it. I did write down that there were some continuity errors when there, when she is in the shower. At one point, her head is covered in soap. Yeah. And the next shot, she is clean as a whistle. And I'm just like, yeah. come on. I mean, it, I, like, it, doesn't, it doesn't impact my appreciation of the movie, but it does make it sort of obvious that at least the editor is not paying attention. <laughs> and so, like, this is how much they care about the movie. Yeah. If you don't care about it, why should I? One other thing is there is a one adult in this entire camp. And we see once. We see once when he makes an announcement about how there's going to be this three-day canoe trip. canoe trip where the teens are just going to take the kids on their own. Yeah. Have fun. And, and 
then again at the very, very end of the movie. And that's it. Like, he does nothing. He has no impact on the story whatsoever. And it's just a bunch of kids with no supervision (laughs) running around. And then eventually, eventually getting killed. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. There is a moment we'll get to later where it's actually impressive. I was impressed by this movie. One thing that Glazer does do that pisses a lot of people off is he throws or he pushes the weirdo into the water to get back at him for looking at his girl in the shower. And he gives this ridiculous laugh. I love Glazer's laugh here. It's so bad. But that, like, gets Jason Alexander all like, how dare you? He uh-huh. can't swim. And then Woodstock ends up shooting him with a with a BB gun or something right in his ass. Yes. Which is funny, I guess. But then in the next scene, they're just hanging out in the bunks together. Yep. There are a couple of scenes where it's like, um, I think the weirdo says at one point, oh my god, at the window, there was a horrible face. Oh, oh. Whoa, what's up, man? Oh my god. What are you looking at? At the window, there. There, there, at the window. Oh, take it easy, man. What's going on? There was a face. A horrible face at the window. <laughs> yeah, forget it, girls. I saw it. It was there. Well, there sure as hell ain't nothing out there now. And then just nothing else about that for a while. Well, yeah, later on, he's going to swear that it happened, and then nobody's going to believe him. And then at the very end, he gets sort of vindication where he tells Todd, it was the face I saw. Remember way back when? And it doesn't matter that I saw it anyway. I was right. Todd's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So they go on their little three-day canoe trip. Uh Uh-huh. They stop for, you know, their first night and they're having a bonfire and they tell the story about Cropsey. Yes. They do the whole, like, you know, at the end of the story, the guy pops up. With the garden shears, just like they did in what was the movie? And that man was me. Oh, from Club Dread. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's what you're talking about. I see. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> and he stands up and he's got his dick tucked between his legs. Yes. Where's my penis? And that and- boy wants me. <laughs> yes, this guy jumps up and pretends to be Cropsey. Cropsey, yeah. He's out there watching. Move. He'll hear you. Don't breathe. You're dead. Okay, let's just say you were at camp. You got wrapped up in this practical joke that ended up scarring a man beyond repair. He was in the hospital for five years, and they could not reconstruct anything, right? He's just permanently disfigured and, again, hospitalized for five years. You go back to the same lake to be a camp counselor, you take these kids on a trip, and then you're going to tell a ghost story about this urban legend that you know is real, 
you call him Cropsy, which is the legitimate, like, actual, actual name. name of the guy that you set on fire. Who the fuck does that? Could you imagine? Probably be- makes him feel better to, to remind himself how bad of a guy the guy was. Right, but it's like, oh man, yeah, then they set this guy on fire. <laughs> like, that was you. You actually did that. This is when the girl will go on the second, like, the date with the guy, and he'll yeah. be a total fucking asshole. This is Karen and Eddie. Yeah, and the important thing here is that Karen will die, but I don't even think we see her die. We just she gets see grabbed. That she she oh. gets grabbed. Okay. And I think maybe she gets, I don't know, but we, it's it's kind of unimportant. She disappears, and Eddie just says, finally, like, fuck you. You know, why'd you even come out here? Because he, they go skinny dipping even. And when she doesn't really want to fool around. Because she said, I don't want to go skinny dipping. And he's like, we're just going to swim. I, I promise nothing weird's uh-huh. going to happen. And then she's like, you promise? And then he forced, of course, she goes out there and he, of course, she's an asshole about it. And he's like, then why did you even come out here? It's like, then why did you lie? Yeah, we Fucking agreed asshole. that there wouldn't be. Fucking yeah. And so shit. she storms off. We find out later that Michelle, who's the female counterpart to Todd, so they're the two like older camp counselors, told Karen that she can take one of the canoes back to the main camp if things went sour with Eddie, right? And so in the morning when she disappears, she's not surprised. Uh, and they ask Eddie, where'd she go? What'd you do? You know, he's like, I don't know. She stormed off and I haven't seen her. He just fell asleep on the side of the lake. All that happens to this guy is she says, you make me sick, calls him a jerk. And I'm like, yeah, this was definitely written by Harvey Weinstein. Well, he does mm-hmm. get killed. Good. Yeah, I know. But still, the big problem now is, is that all their canoes are gone. And they're like, what happened? And the nearest they can figure is that when Karen took a canoe to go back to the main camp, the rest got unmoored and they're drifting somewhere out on the lake. And so then now they need to find it. But they don't have any canoes, so how do they do that? They spend the entire day searching, and Todd and Michelle agree that if they don't find these canoes, they're going to have to build a raft. And gee, good thing they have all that rope? Yes. To tie up these pieces of wood that are perfectly straight that they just found and didn't cut down because they don't have axes? (laughs) Like, what? Uh, Okay, whatever. They build a raft, fine. But it's not as easy to go through the water like a canoe is. Right. It's a lot heavier. It doesn't cut through the water. So it's going really, really slow. And they send half these kids back to the main camp to send help. Right. And Woodstock, Fisher Stevens is going to be on this, this raft. So is Eddie, but Jason Alexander and Todd and Michelle and Holly Hunter, they're all going to stick around behind. So the kids on the raft, they're, they find a canoe. They're yes. all excited. But I was like, I bet there's going to be something wrong with that canoe. Yep. There is a whole lot of carnage when they turn that thing over. This is the part of the movie that actually impressed me. Cropsy will kill every kid on this raft. Everyone. He'll cut off Fisher Stevens' fingers and then stab him in the chest or whatever. Kill every kid. And it is bloody. And then it fades to red, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really cool. And then they do that a couple more times in the movie, completely diminishing that effect. (laughs) But later on, these kids that were left behind end up seeing the raft come floating by. 
And when Michelle goes swimming out there to see what's going on out there, she'll realize that it's full of dead bodies, which is also really cool. Just a raft floating by full of dead bodies. This is the best the movie is right here. And that's it. It, yep. it, it's worse before and it's worse afterwards. Eventually, Cropsey will go after Glazer and Sally after they finally have sex. Oh and my god, terrible. and that is really uncomfortable. I wrote too. down, well, this is extremely uncomfortable. Like, she very obviously isn't into it. I think she full on says stop at some point. Right. He doesn't. She doesn't have a good time, and then he finishes early, and she's like, cool. Uh-huh. And he's like, like, oh, I'm super s-. uncomfortable. But he does feel really bad about it. He's uh-huh. like, really sorry. Like, you kind better. of feel bad for Glazer. I do but not feel bad for Glazer. Fuck that guy. I understand. Said, stop, and he no, didn't. No, no, you're right. Written by Weinstein. You're no right. big fucking. You're absolutely right. Surprise. But what I'm saying is the movie sort of paints him as a sympathetic figure, which only goes towards your point. I'm not saying he deserves us to feel bad for him. I'm saying the movie paints him that way. Well, she's also very just like, cool. That was really disappointing. Like, I told you I didn't even want it. Then we did it. It wasn't even good. Great. Get uh the fuck off of me. uh And the weirdo is going to watch. This is where I wrote. Okay, I'm sorry, but Alfred does seem to have a bizarre obsession with Glazer. Yeah, he's going to watch as Glazer gets killed and he's going to smile. He smiles while he watches uh-huh, but the But then he video. runs away. But then he runs and he tells Todd about it. It was the guy I saw in the window. <laughs> yeah. And then Todd gets killed. And then... He, no, Todd doesn't get killed. Todd, I mean, Todd gets hurt because the weirdo freaks out. He's like, Todd! And then he runs away because he feels really bad because he did not want Todd to get hurt. Because Todd's the only one who's nice Yeah, he gets him. like stabbed or hit or something. He gets hit. But he survives. Yeah. Yes. The kids get back on the raft to travel back to the main camp and try again. Where did they put all those bodies? Where did all the bodies go? Did they just dump them into the lake? Did they leave them on shore? We don't know. Are they still on the raft? No, they're not, very obviously. Where do they go that they get hit by a mining cart? So there is like mine caves, there's old ruins and stuff, and this is just Alfred and Todd going after Cropsey and Alfred ends up getting captured, and then Todd chases after him, and yeah, they find, like, this old mining encampment or whatever, and he almost gets hit by a mining car. Well, while he's in there, he'll get scared of, like, a still of a person, and it was really awkward in the movie. Yes. <laughs> where He doesn't get scared by a still. He gets scared by... It's a body, One but it's of, a uh, yeah. still of a but body. But it is, it is a still shot of the body, so it looks like very obviously like this isn't happening live. <laughs> it's just a single frame. It was very odd. Yeah. But anyway, I did enjoy, like... <laughs> I did enjoy when you found out that he was Todd, because it's like they did a flashback yes. to the kids, and, and the it guy's was like, like, right, Todd, Todd. And, then it hit, and then it shows like, his oh, face. like, oh, shit. Jamie, you with us? Yeah, sure. Snoop? I mean, Billy, I can't stay on this little bitch. What about you? Todd. Todd's one of the 
the kids. I was like, oh, that's a fun way to show you. But I was like, but, but it doesn't but, mean anything. Like, and the entire because the entire movie, I was like, somebody's got to be involved, right? Or is he just killing people? I don't know. Does it matter? I don't think they care. And then they tell you at the end, and you're like, cool. There's five minutes left in the movie. Yeah. Uh huh. And I haven't been wondering about this because you didn't make me wonder about it. Yeah. And then why did he take Alfred alive? That's not explained because Alfred Left needed alive to be alive. To suffer is what I wrote down. Jesus. Well, so he he stabs Todd, and then maybe he just didn't know that Todd still lived. But then he takes Alfred alive, which is weird. And then they end up through you know like he's going after Todd, and then Alfred ends up hitting him, stabbing him, or setting him on fire or whatever. But ultimately, he catches on fire, and they just let him burn. <laughs> Right? Okay, fine. He's a killer. He deserves it, right? I get the Alfred saved poetry the here. Yes, he did. But but like did you did you really need to set him on fire? Like, did that really need to be the solution? It's like they went out of their way to set him on fire, as opposed to just killing him. The movie's called The Burning. Chris. I understand, but it's we really We needed to see more burning. It's really contrived. But I don't know. I wrote down it's just kind of boring. There's a whole lot of nothing for most of the movie. Guys being jerks, girls getting harassed, walking around, running from something repeatedly. Just a lot of shots of Alfred running and looking back and Todd looking for him and going around corners and obviously using the same set over and over again, just from a different angle, looking for something. It's just that's most of the movie. And there's very little action for most of the movie. There's one moment on the raft that's kind of fun, and then the raft floats by with dead bodies on it, which is also kind of fun, and then that's it. I did like the end where they retell the story, and it's totally ADR'd, and then it's and then the very end, don't move, you're dead! Right now, he's out there watching, waiting, so don't look, he'll see you. Don't breathe, he'll hear you. Don't move. You're dead! Because that, oh, yeah. that felt very much like what really does happen when you tell those stories. Yeah, there, there is another camp group telling the same story. Yet you're right, very obviously ADR'd, which is so weird. Was like the fire too loud or something? <laughs> but it's very obviously ADR'd. And then, yeah, he looks straight at the camera, breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. We don't mention it, but Michelle and the other kids end up going back to the main camp and getting a hold of that adult who doesn't believe them for like two seconds. <laughs> so it's meaningless. And then they go and they get the cops and the cops show up with a helicopter to save Alfred and... Todd, but did we really need to know that part? It was totally unnecessary for the action of the movie. Just more stuff that is pointless filling time. Sorry if it seems harsh, but I expected something better considering the sort of like old school cred that this movie has, right? I don't know. I've seen better. It, definitely. I've seen much better. I've seen better. At the time, you know, I, it's, uh, I don't know. It had all the elements I'm looking for and did not put them together well. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Keeping in mind there are only 10 reviews, so there's no consensus statement, but it needs to be a multiple of 10. 30. 80. I'm not kidding. It has an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a Metacritic, though, of 42. 
Just a little bit more probably accurate. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that Madman had a Rotten Tomatoes of 36, you gave it a 49 and I gave it a 50. What will you give The Burning? I'm going to give it a 30. It's very boring. Yeah, it is very boring, but it's not like offensively bad. I'll go 40, I think. I think I'll go 40. It is definitely on the wrong side of 50. Mm-hmm. But like it's not like I say, it's not offensively bad. It's just surprisingly not good. If I'm constantly being reminded that, yeah, this was written by Weinstein's a problem. Yeah. And even even like completely disregarding that. Like, for instance, we talked about it when we when we talk about Rosemary's Baby, right? Which you and I both love. It's one of your favorite movies, let alone favorite horror movies. And Roman Polanski is a fucking bastard, mm-hmm. right? But the movie still manages to be really, really good. This, even if you disregard how much of a fuckhead Harvey Weinstein is, it's still really not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, what is the appeal here? How does it get an average review score of 42% and still have 80% of people that watch it say they liked it? I don't get it. I would be one of the 20%. It's kind of a bummer. I'm sorry if we're treading on Return of the Living Dead territory here, but <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think there are any like diehard burn heads out there. <laughs> but maybe there are. There's a much better burnt movie. Burnt offerings. Yes. If you're looking for a movie with burn in the title. <laughs> And that is our classic film, 1981's The Burning. Moving on to our quote-unquote modern film, 2001's Joyride, written by Clay Tarver and J.J. Abrams in a script originally entitled Squelch. Directed by John Dahl and starring Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, and Lily Sobieski. Kelsey, what is Joyride about? These two brothers are on a road trip to pick up a girl on their way home, and on the way, they decide to play a prank through their CB radio on a trucker, and that goes poorly. Yep, it goes poorly. Jeffrey, who recommended this, thank you, Jeffrey. Yes, I do wish that we could have paired this with Duel, but we were desperate for an April Fool's-themed, yes, you know, I'm like, prank gone that. wrong, because... It is very much Duel, and I really want to watch Duel. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the movie is available on Stars, or you can rent it for $4. You can buy it for 8 to $15. It is cheapest on Amazon and Vudu. Kelsey, should people watch Joyride? You don't have to. If you don't have to. If it's on... Not that it's ever going to be on, but if it's on, sure. But, like, this is not something I would go out of my way to watch. Here's the thing. Lily Sobieski is, like, kind of underutilized. She did not need to be in this movie. Oh, God. I think she's terrible in this movie. Uh, I think, like, she's pretty bad in this movie. I've always thought this. I'm really, really sorry. I've always thought this. Paul Walker was a terrible actor. Rest in peace. I hear he was a great guy. But that doesn't mean he was a good actor. He was fucking terrible. And on the plus side, 
Steve Zahn can do no wrong, and he is very Steve Zahn. I like Steve Zahn in this, but he just plays a really stupid character. Yeah, I mean, he's not like fucking dumb. He's not saving Silverman, Steve Zahn, which I just kind of wanted to watch after watching this. But yes, he is still Steve Zahn. That's what Chris thinks of. I think of that thing you do. Oh yeah, got it. Looks like the Oneaters. (laughs) (laughs) The Wonders. Yeah, it looks like the Oneaters. No, the. The Wonders. Got it. Looks like the Oneaters. Steve Zahn is pretty great, but even he can't make this a great movie. It's it's very meh. Yeah. But, like, not bad. Like, I remembered liking it when I saw it in theaters with my sure. mom. <laughs> but, I mean... The burning was like it was a it was a, an excitement suck, right? Like it just sort of sucked the excitement out of you uh, because it was so boring. Now this wasn't boring at all. In fact, there's some moments that are really tense, but it just sort of devolves into action schlock by the end of it, and it's a little bit like confusing to parse, and and it becomes less believable by the end, and so I get less excited as it goes on. But it's not like it. It, it it's not anti-excitement like burning is. And again, there is no question, there's no twist, there's no turns. Uh-huh. You know exactly what's happening the entire yes. fucking time. Uh-huh. They mess with a guy and he is gonna get revenge and you're just like, okay, all right. That's the movie. <laughs> Do also want to say that Rusty Nail, although not played by him, he is voiced by Ted Levine, who is... Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. When you know it's pretty it's obvious. Him. Yeah. yeah very <laughs> obvious. And I think he does a, a pretty good job at sounding sinister, right? Yeah, he's got a sinister voice. Uh-huh. Despite the fact that if you watched Monk, he's a good guy. <laughs> anyway. I yeah, so I guess the final verdict is Kelsey, you're saying, eh, if it's on, you might as well watch it. Yes. I think it, you know, if you're looking for a desert car chase. Tension-filled movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say you don't have to watch this. It isn't necessary. But, yeah, by all means, watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2001's Joyride. You had a car. You could stop by Colorado and pick me up. You'd want that? A girl he couldn't resist. An adventure he couldn't believe. Who's the pretty girl? And a game. We had a little incident here last night. He can't escape. Steve Zahn. Guys, coming after us. Paul Walker. He knew you were in here. He's watching us. Lee Sobieski. Is he ready for an adventure or what? Joyride. Rated R. October 5th. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does 2001's Joyride begin? Paul Walker and Lily Sobieski are on the phone with each other. Throughout the film, it's alluded to the idea that I think they just, they grew up together? They grew up together, but nobody's ever jumped the gun on initiating a relationship. But they're they're talking on the phone all night, every night, and, you know, it's just, I'm sure it's just a matter of her waiting for him to make a move or something. But they also live way far apart. He lives in Berkeley. He's going to college in Berkeley. She's going to college in Colorado. Yeah. She was dating somebody, and he's all excited when she tells him that they broke up. Right. Because he's been acting weird and serious. Yeah. As she puts it. He kept looking at me as if, you know, he totally thought that he knew me. But she so obviously didn't. And he started crying which sort of sealed the deal you know 
his roommate's like, what the fuck, man? It's three in the morning. I have a final tomorrow. Uh-huh. He tosses him headphones. Paul Walker tosses like him headphones. What a dick. <laughs> but he's all like, you made him cry? Because he's all excited that uh-huh. they're not together. And she's like, man, I just, I really just need some time to decompress before I go back home. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could go on a road trip, if you just had a car and could pick me up? And he's like, oh, I got a car. But the truth is, is that he had a plane ticket. So he sells his plane ticket. He gets a refund so that he can buy a car so he can pick her up. Yeah. But his plan does not go how he expected it to because his mother calls him. All on payphones. I love all these phone calls. Yeah, on so phones. many payphone calls. Mm-hmm. Just from payphone to payphone. His mother tells him, "Your brother has been arrested again. This time in Salt Lake City. Remember, he's coming from Berkeley. He is headed to Colorado, so it takes him a little bit out of his way. Not much. Not too much, but a little. But you know, not a straight a shot day or anymore. two. Yeah." So he goes to get his brother, but his brother is Steve Zahn, who we all love. Yep. Can't not love Steve Zahn. Except that, unfortunately, his character is just stupid. He's not stupid. He's just an asshole. He's not dumb. He's pretty smart. He's just an asshole. He makes really stupid decisions. Right, because he's an asshole. I guess. Not because he's dumb. But so it makes it really hard to like him. Mm -hmm. It makes it really hard... To find it funny, because he does a lot of really shitty things. Yep. It is through Steve Zahn that, yeah, we're going to hear all this backstory about Lily Sobieski and this and his brother Paul Walker. Like, about how much he's been in love with her for forever. And The blinker? <laughs> yes. So, uh, who's this friend you're picking up? Her name is Ben, she's a friend of mine from back home. Wait, the blinker? That girl from the Heights? The one who's like... All day. <laughs> no, she's not like that all day. You haven't seen her in years. Okay. You're fucking her? Whoa, what question's more legit than that? Yeah. Look, we're just friends, okay? Uh, okay, you're not fucking her, but you want to. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I don't? I don't know what I'm talking about? All right, here's how it is. Um, she's always dated guys from the right side of the group. You're always left on the sidelines. And you get your scholarship to Berkeley, she's off to the University of Colorado, right? Yeah, look, you don't, you right? don't understand. You guys have been talking on the phone a lot. You don't understand. And uh, now she realizes that you have the warm fuzzies for each other. You're not letting on even though you scrambled and uh, bought this car just to pick her up. No, you're still playing the neuter boyfriend. He's like always there for her. Because you're nice. He gets really mad at his brother. For the way he's talking to him and to get to get back at him for the way he is speaking to him, he will drive off into a ditch. And I'm like, way to get back at your brother by hurting the car you right. just bought. Yeah, it's very weird. It, it's very strange. And then Steve's on as a olive branch decides to get a CB radio for the car. It's all very strange. Uh-huh. It doesn't make well, a lot of fun. sense. And it does seem like Steve Zahn knows a lot about CB culture <laughs> and lingo, etc. Yes, he gleefully starts to talk on the CB radio to fuck with people. Mm-hmm. And he gets his brother Paul Walker to pretend to be a girl when talking to a particular guy. Which is just shitty. Yep. It's just really shitty. And then Paul Walker eventually acquiesces because it'd be easier for him just to do this thing than to have to continue to argue with his brother. 
I'll just never really get practical jokes. Like, I'm just like, what good can come of this? Right. What good can come of it? Totally. So basically what the premise is, is that Paul Walker's Candy Cane is agreeing to meet up with Steve Zahn's Black Sheep. And these are their handles on the CB. And eventually this guy, Rusty Nail, reaches out to Candy Cane as well after Black Sheep sort of leaves the conversation. And so for those of you that don't know, CB radios, there was like a whole, like you could get a license for them and everything. And I had a buddy who had one, an old friend from Boy Scouts. And it's basically just like a wide band. There are a bunch of different channels. In this case, 19, one niner is the more publicly used channel. And anybody can talk. You just talk on it, right? And that's it. And it, and like it, a chat room. Basically. It's like a mobile chat room. And so you can talk to other people within a couple of miles if they're on the same channel as you. And that's oftentimes what they do. That's where terms like Smokey and the Bandit come from. That's CB slang. CB lingo, right? Smokey being short for Smokey Bear, who wore those hats that Highway Patrol officers wear, hence... The cops are called Smokey, you know, so all that sort of fun lingo and slang. And Steve Zahn is really, really good at it. But so now Candy Kane is talking to this guy, Rusty Nail, played by Ted Levine, and is agreeing to eventually meet up with him at a motel. Well, the first time they talk to him, they're doing the whole thing. And then eventually they lose, like, contact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they get too far away or uh -huh. how that works. But... I'd like to point out this is the first time this happens and then it'll happen again. It's like it's like the writer expected Paul Walker to somehow not be able to hear like the conversation. So Paul Walker is having this conversation with Rusty Nail. And during this conversation, like I said, they're gonna lose contact. And Steve Zahn is gonna be all annoyed and be like, God damn it, blah 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 blah. We were having so much fun. And Paul Walker is going to suddenly be like, wait, what? Did we lose him? I'm sorry, was Paul Walker in another room? <laughs> no, 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 we can't lose this guy. Go. I couldn't hear that, Rusty Nail. Rusty Nail, sweetheart. Ah! Oh, that was almost so good. Yeah. What, did we lose him? How does Paul Walker not know that the the, the, draw, to, the call got dropped? It's to explain to the audience that it is location-based and that you might not always have 100% contact with them. But there's like, there's too much time in between. I think the writer was expecting it to be like, as Steve Zahn is getting mad, uh -huh. Paul Walker would be saying like at the same time, wait, what, did we lose him? Like it should have been happening at the same time. Yeah. As opposed to Steve Zahn gets upset take a beat, and then Paul Walker says, what? We lost him? But Paul Walker's not a good actor. So. Sorry, he wasn't a good actor. I don't. Well, also the director could have done right, something. Totally. It, it's very, it's not well, like the acting is not well paced. Right. <laughs> the acting is uneven here. I, I will tell you who does a really good job is Ted Levine. I think he does a great job as Rusty Nail. See, here's the thing. Yes, Rusty Nail is the villain of this movie, right? Like, yes, he is a bad guy, but they don't know that. All they know about him is he was like, oh, this Candy Cane, she sounds 
like a hot little number or whatever. So he's a little horny on Maine, right? And when she responds, he hesitates even. He's like, wait a minute. I thought you were with Black Sheep when she invites him over, right? And Paul Walker clarifies, you know, oh, well, what, whatever he says, I'm bored of him or whatever, you don't know, remember. or I'm free tonight or I'm something done like with that. Him. I don't right? Know. Like, I thought you were meeting with Black Sheep. Well, that was the plan, but how about I blow him off and take a chance with you? I don't know. It's It just seems like they had every opportunity not to totally screw over a guy that, as far as they knew, was completely well-meaning and innocent. Yes, but the reason it's important that they get caught off here at that first uh, uh-huh. conversation is because the reason they will send him to a particular place is because Steve Zahn needs to have time to have this interaction with this guy. Yes. Uh-huh. For him to p- choose a target. Yeah. So they go to a motel, and Steve Zahn goes into the office to get a room, and of course, there's this guy who's very, very mad and yelling at the guy who works there, Mm -hmm. okay? And he will also, like, push Steve Zahn out of the way. total dickhead. Right. A bad guy. But I'd also like to point out that he's a dickhead, too. They pull in, and he takes the only handicapped spot. Yes, that was Steve Zahn. Yeah, and Paul Walker's like, there are plenty of spots, and he's just like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's like, okay, no, that's not, it's like, what, I'm gonna, I think he says I'm gonna gimp it in, which is also, you know, not very sensitive language, but still, like, that's not my problem. My problem isn't that people might think that you're not handicapped, it's that you're taking up a handicapped spot for somebody who is. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Just things, just you just decide to be a dick for so, for no reason. Uh-huh. But yes, he has this interaction with this guy who's a total dickhead to him for nothing, like for no reason. He's just impatient, and he's always upset that he keeps getting calls in the morning, right? Yeah, or people keep interrupting him, and he's just trying to sleep. So while that is happening, Paul Walker inside the car is going to hear... Yeah, over the CB radio. And it's just like, you don't want to do this, right? So why not just turn it off? Change the channel. Change the channel. Something. Steve Zahn isn't going to fucking realize it. This is your moment. And he just sits there and stares at it. And so when Steve Zahn comes back, he gets really excited that Rusty Nail's back. And he hatches this plan to, yes, meet me at this motel in this room, which is the room next to theirs that this dickhead is staying in, and bring... Some pink champagne, because it's my favorite. And, like, the idea is, like, oh, just the little touches really sell it, right? hmm And Steve Zahn is really excited about all of this. He thinks it's hilarious. Paul Walker, he gets into it. When, like, the pink champagne thing. Like, he he's hesitant a little bit, but then he, like, he gets into it. And it's like, dude, you don't have to. Steve Zahn is counting on you to play this part. You could just not. Mm-hmm. You could just not do it. Yes. Yeah. And but if but if they, he didn't, then we wouldn't have a movie. Yes. But they are trying to frame him as this, like, a good guy. But, I mean, no, you're doing some pretty shitty things that you didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of background about Steve Zahn and how his dad doesn't like him and all this stuff. But yeah, it's like... he's not planning to go see their mom. But it's like, I can see why your dad wouldn't like you. Yeah. So... Well, I think chicken and egg, right? He might be that way because... He had a bad relationship with his parents. It's possible. 
But so that night, they are waiting up to see what happens. And the guy actually shows up and they can hear everything because it's right next door. And they hear, you know, that there's a little bit of a ruckus and then somebody falls. Like, you can hear a thump. And Paul Walker's like, oh, fuck. And he calls the office, the main office, and he's like, uh, I think something might have happened next door. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, we'll call. And so they call and the person picks up and they're like, it's fine. And yeah. it's like. How is that not so obvious what just happened? Right. The guy who's in there, in that room, hates being interrupted, hates being called, hates somebody knocking at their door, and you call in to check, and he's like, no, it's fine, nothing's going on. Yeah, and then the TV <laughs> turns on. Steve Zahn's just excited to have an excuse to just be like, see, it's fine. Uh-huh. And Paul Walker, I think, is just looking for an excuse to say it's fine. But I think they both know that, that it's definitely not okay. Uh-huh. The next day... The cops knock on their door, I think, right? They, uh, one of them is talking to the cops while the other was getting out of the shower or something like that. And then they both end up talking to the cops. And this cop is a total dickhead. He thinks they did it or he thinks they had something to do with it. And what we, what we find out the it is, is this guy that was in the room next to them was found out on the center median of the highway with his jaw ripped off. I really like that or the cops. open or something. Raw off, right? Ripped off. I really like that the cop says it wasn't comely, and Steve Zahn's just like, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. <laughs> what happened to him? It wasn't comely. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. But he ends up taking them in to see this guy, which is, like, totally inappropriate. Oh, and it's the guy from Supernatural. Is the sheriff. Yes. Who then starts grilling them because after they see this guy with his jaw off, they admit that they were playing a practical joke and then it led to this. And I think technically they didn't do anything like explicitly illegal, but I'm sure there's a lot of things you can get them on if you wanted to. Criminal mischief or like, you know, I'm sure fraud on a CB is probably, you know, against the law or whatever. What are they? Where are they right now? They're in Missouri or something. Wyoming. Wyoming. I want you out of Wyoming before the sun goes down. Here's the question. Why the fuck are they in Wyoming? If they're coming from Berkeley, California, through Salt Lake City, to Colorado, why are they passing through Wyoming, which is north of Colorado? Yeah, especially if they're going to University of Colorado. That's Boulder. I mean, does it have to do with the Rockies? Do the Rockies divert you in that direction, maybe? I don't know. No. I've I mean, because you've made that trip yeah, plenty no, of times. Yeah. But you go south. You go from Colorado to Southern California. So maybe if you're up in... No, but you if you're if you're coming from Salt Lake City to Boulder, you'd go south. Would you? Yeah, you would not go north. Doesn't make any sense. Well, they do. <laughs> so they're in Wyoming, and that's why they run into this rusty nail, nail fellow. But yes, he reads them the riot act, and he's very pissed, and he kicks them out of the state. He's like an old school Western. Mm-hmm. And they're on their way, you know, sort of tail between their legs, heads down, like, no shit, we really fucked up, didn't we? Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) A guy got his jaw ripped off. I would like to remind you guys that that is what happened. Because because what happens next is just ridiculous. 
Why wouldn't you get rid of the CB radio? Why wouldn't you just turn it off? They don't. They have it on. And again, he comes on there looking for candy cane. Why would you ever respond to the person who ripped a man's jaw off? It's ridiculous. Here's the thing. Like... Steve Zahn pretends to be black sheep and then he's, you know, he keeps the the illusion going, but tries to, like, distance themselves from it all, right? And then eventually Paul Walker, like, gets on and is like, come on, man, it was just a joke or whatever, right? We're sorry, okay? Like, I'm sorry. He ripped a guy's jaw off and you think he'll be cool if you just explain to him that it was a joke? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like they completely forget what he did. Yeah. They think that he's somebody that they can just threaten over the CB radio. And when he so doesn't stupid. when he doesn't take that, Steve Zahn gets on and he starts berating him and being like, "Hey, I have a superpower or whatever it is. It's called the volume knob and I can turn it down." And he turns it and that's when they finally turn it off. So you could have done that without ever responding to him. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So they pull over at a gas station and they see an ice truck and this guy gets out and he's got a tire thumper. We should say they're worried in the first place because Rusty Nail mentions that they have a busted taillight. Which they got a ticket for earlier. Paul Walker did when he was alone. Yeah. Mm hmm. But so they see this guy get out of an ice truck and he's got a tire thumper, which they don't know what that is. They just see that he's got this big stick thing and he's walking in after them. So Paul Walker, in his fear, rushes out of the gas station, leaving his credit card behind. So everyone knows watching this. If you don't know, you're not paying attention. This isn't the guy. Right? right? It's very obviously not the guy. It's also way too early in the movie for it to be the guy. <laughs> we need some sort of fake scare, right? And they're going to run away from this ice truck guy who's going to then chase after them because he has Paul Walker's credit card, right? Like, it's very obvious there's no tension here. And we're going to drag out the scene of them running away from it. And then if you watch the scene knowing that he just has the guy's credit card, there's no way in fuck he would chase them down like this. <laughs> I would be like... Okay, I guess he doesn't want it. <laughs> I'll leave it back at the gas station or whatever. I was just doing them a favor. I don't need to. Why am I going to chase after these guys? Exactly. Yeah, eventually they hit like a tree or something. They hit a dead end. Yeah, and he comes out and he's like, somebody, I think Steve Zahn inside says something like, we got a gun. And the guy's like, yeah, and I have a credit card <laughs> <laughs> like to reveal. And they're like, oh, man, I'm sorry. We were just so freaked out. And he's like, is it the mustache? The little woman keeps telling me I should shave that off. <laughs> that guy's fun. It's very cute. You know? Except that he's going to die. He is. He's going to get back in his ice truck. He's going to say that he has the tire thumper for his tires. You know, and he explains everything. It's like, oh, shit. Okay, this very obviously is not Rusty Nail, right? And he gets back in his ice truck. So he's, like, made half of a K-turn. And now he's going across the street that they're in. As they start to go back, this giant fifth wheel just comes plowing through the ice truck. And then, from this moment on, we're just going to fucking forget about this ice truck and this guy. And the movie will never come back to it until the very end of the movie. And the whole time, I'm like, what happened to the ice truck guy? (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out, eventually. And yes, he's going to chase after them and... Eventually, they hit a tree, right? And then he just wants an apology. Yeah, he said, if you just give me an apology, he said that earlier, 
on the thing, but Steve Zahn wouldn't, and that's when he turned the radio down, right? So yeah, he's going to chase after them. He's going to eventually plow them into a tree, and over the CB radio, Steve Zahn's going to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, okay, all right, well, I was just messing with you if you were just messing with yeah, me. Uh-huh. And he leaves, and then the next day, they're able to get their car fixed. I wrote down... There is no way in hell that that shop in the middle of BFE had a replacement windshield, side windows. Uh, I'm sure the ax- both axles are probably bent. Like the taillight for that specific car, same day. And they fix all of it in like an afternoon. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Fuck no. Are you kidding me? It's very silly. You can go to your local auto repair shop and guaranteed they don't have the part you're looking for. (laughs) They got to order it from cross country and it's going to take three days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Every time. Mm -hmm. So they then throw the CB out. Finally. Yeah. And they go and they pick her up. Lily Sobieski. Yes. And she is wearing a terrible outfit. But it shows her nipples, and so it... It does. It, it turns Steve Zahn on. He's like, oh, wow, she really did grow up. But she's wearing a army skirt with an orange tank top. And I'm just like, what? Who thought that looked good together? It was just desperately early aughts. Yes, yes, it was. Uh-huh. Yes, it was. There's this terrible, pointless scene of them at the bar, except that it's important because that's going to get... Paul Walker tired and he's going to go to bed uh-huh. so that Steve Zong can be a total fucking asshole and hit on Lily Sobieski. But she's like, yeah, no, a couple I don't times think, yeah. to get him to leave her the fuck alone. And then she just relents because that's exactly what life is really like. Right. She lets him in. But I should say, like, they don't do anything. And I think it's very clear that she's not going to let anything happen. But she's just like, at least well, he's waiting in. till she gets drunk. Yeah. And he's about to make his move. That's when Paul Walker gets the phone call. Mm. I will say that she answers the door really excited and then sees that it's Steve Zahn. It's very obvious that she wants to be with Paul Walker. Who wouldn't? Right. He was a very handsome man. Yes, he was a very good looking guy. Steve Zahn's funny, but Paul Walker's got the look. He's also really short. (laughs) But yes, he gets a phone call. I don't remember what it's telling them. Well, it tells him... To go and find out why Steve Zahn is in the room. Yes, that's what it is. With Sobieski. Yeah, and I like Paul Walker's response, which is a pretty excellent fucking question. Yeah. <laughs> He's out there. He's watching us. Wait, where's Steve? Yeah, he just called me. Are you, are you, are you, are you, when he called you on the phone? Yeah, just now. He knew you were in here. He's watching us. There's somebody watching us? Yeah, he just called what me. What did he say? He just, he, 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 he said, I thought there was no girl. And then he asked what you're doing in the other room with her, which you know is a pretty fucking excellent question. Okay, we're getting out of here. So put on your shoes. I already paid for this room. Just do it. Well, how scared am I supposed to be? Much more than usual. <laughs> which was good. So they get in the car. They're driving. And Lily Sobieski's great. Like, how scared should I be right now? And they're well, like, that's, really? Yes. But I think that's actually a little bit it's, later. I, there's, there's something like that as they're running down the stairs of the motel leaving at this moment. But then, yes, they're driving down the street. And as everyone's talking, I think it's Steve Zahn who's driving. Yes. Who, se- who sees all the street signs say, look in the trunk, you know. And he says, he pulls over and they're like, what are you doing? And Steve Zahn's like, we got to look in the trunk. All the signs said to look in the trunk. He's like, how do you know that was meant for us? And he says, look. And the next sign that's in front of them says Lewis. Yes. Which is um, Paul, Paul Walker's, Walker's name. name. Yeah. 
And they open it up, and Steve Zahn is terrified, and so is Paul Walker, and Lily Sobieski is like, why should I be afraid of a radio? Because it's the The CB CB radio. radio. He picked it up off the road and put it back in their trunk. He's just fucking with them. Now, keep in mind, this guy is driving a gigantic truck. It is never explained how he always knows where they are and what they're doing and can see them, but they can't see him and his gigantic truck. Yes, it's a very good point. It's an excellent point. It's the Jason of trucks where it teleports and other such things. Yes. But we didn't mention this. Lily Sobieski had a friend that we met back when they were picking her up named Charlotte. Yeah. Well, apparently Apparently the guy in his truck was watching that moment on campus. Which they did not see. They did not see a gigantic semi truck following. Or he's been following them this entire time. I'm sorry, but that trucker, I don't care. Here's the thing. I have truckers in my family, actually, and they're hauling loads and that's how they get paid and they get paid by how quickly they do it. Right. So oftentimes they'll drive through the night or that's why a lot of truckers are on amphetamines and other things to like keep them awake. Right. And it's a whole thing. This guy is spending not hours, but days. Days just following these people without them ever seeing him. Mm-hmm. And what is he hauling? It is never revealed, except in the script, Squelch, which, by the way, Squelch is it's the feature of the radio. You can adjust it. It's what prevents the radio from making lots of white noise when there is no signal being received. So you just change, you adjust the Squelch and it makes the radio silent when nobody's talking. Anyway, that's what that's about. Mm-hmm. We find out in that script that he's just hauling scrap metal and dead bodies. (laughs) It's not revealed in the movie version, but he is just a straight serial killer. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So he's not hauling anything, but the movie doesn't answer that. The script does. The script, the reason he can spend all his time doing this is because that's what he does normally, I guess. He kills people on the road. That makes perfect sense. Uh Uh-huh. Except that how does no one ever see him coming? Yes. <laughs> Gigantic truck. Tell you he can turn invisible, he can teleport. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But so he has taken Charlotte captive. And he says, the only way you're going to get her back is if you feel as embarrassed as I did. So you're going to go into this diner naked and you're going to order six cheeseburgers each. Yeah. And so they do because they're a couple of white guys. The the owner of the place is like, is this a, a fraternity stunt? Yeah. And like, I would be totally fine if this wasn't my restaurant, but it is my restaurant. So I'm going to have to ask you fellas to leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's when Lily Sobieski, who's been talking to Rusty Nail this entire time, and he's been describing, I think, very well, like what it's like to be embarrassed. She honks the horn or whatever giving them the signal that they need to run back out there because he's given her instructions now on what they do next. Mm -hmm. But yes, we do get to see Steve Zahn and Paul Walker's asses. So if you were ever curious, watch Joyride. (laughs) Should have put that in the beginning. Should you watch Joyride? Depends. Do you want to see Paul Walker's ass? Yeah, I think they both, uh, I think they were both worked out a lot for just for this one scene. Because they both look pretty damn good. Yes, they do. This is about the part where I, uh tuned out a little bit it just turns into just a action film which is not my scene and i gotta tell you the script which i read everything after this movie ends to the end of the script and it just keeps fucking going it's just more of that so basically what do they need to do they here's what i have written 
Okay, but how did they outrun him? <laughs> okay. Their car is on fire and Charlotte is screaming. He blew up their car. And then the next thing I have is about Lily Sobieski being taped up, which is very obviously not taped. Very obviously, it is saran wrap. Yes, okay, so you're skipping a little bit. So yes. the next major scene is the cornfield, I think, where they're supposed to go. And then he tries to run them down. And then they get all split up. And then we're really worried that he's taken Lily Sobieski because she was alone and, and he was near her. And, but then we hear her crying. And we're like, oh, great, she's still there. And she calls out. But when they follow her voice, it just takes them back to their car with the CB running. And so he did, in fact, take her, and he's sending her cries through the CB radio. Now, keep in mind, anyone can be on this band. Yeah. I was thinking about that. The the only time there is somebody other than our protagonist and Rusty Nail on the band is when they specifically ask about, hey, are there any cops on the road? Somebody answers every single time they ask. But when all this nonsense is happening, dead. Yep. It's ridiculous. Makes yes. no sense. So anyway, he sets up a meeting for them back at a hotel, back at a motel, back at room 17, right? And he sends them to it. They go and it's empty. Because what we know that they don't is that they're actually in the next room over, just like in the scenario. No, it's, at the, it's the motel across the street. Oh, first they got to find the motel. They don't know what the motel is. Then they find the motel across the street. But yes, they go into the one room and it is still the next room over that they're that they're actually in. But you don't want them to open the door because the gun is somehow it's going to go off. It's rigged to a shotgun. And the way it's laid out, it's impossible that this would work this way. <laughs> it's like yanking the, the trigger guard down and away from the gun and not back. Where if it was tied to the trigger, it would actually pull the trigger back. And it's all with saran wrap, which looks kind of silly. It does look very silly. It's like he was using that tape, which again, isn't really tape. And also, it's not entirely clear how opening the door would increase tension and cause it to pull. As opposed to, you know, loosening that tension and cause it to slack. So, I don't know what he has it wrapped around above the door or what. But anyway... If they open the door, Lily Sobieski gets a shotgun to the face, right? So Steve Zahn goes looking through the back, right? Because they hear something through the wall or whatever. He goes around back and he's going to break in and we see Rusty Nail attack him, right? And uh, they get into a fight. He gets a rebar through his leg or something like that. And Rusty Nail hangs him up on the fence, in the back of this motel. But before he can get hung up, Paul Walker's going to come in through the front and he yells at him, don't open the door, don't open the door. And so when Paul Walker goes to run around the back to find Steve Zahn, he's already hanging up on the fence. And then truck headlights come on. He's going to run the truck right into Steve Zahn, who's hanging on the fence. So he's got to save him, but it's tough because he's got this bar through his leg. Meanwhile, the cops have shown up and they're going to open the door. So what do they do? What well, he drops him down, I think, and leaves him on the ground, but he still can't get away because he's, like, hooked, basically. Paul Walker runs in to try to save Lily Sobieski and manages to rip her off the floor in time for the cops to open the door, and then the shotgun goes off. And then he's like, oh, there's, oh, there's the thing, and uh, uh, uh. like, how, how they haven't been shot already, I don't know. <laughs> but, they yes, they run outside, they manage to see that there is, in fact, a truck looking to plow this guy over. 
They fire their guns at him. Paul Walker gets him out of the way, and the truck just plows through the fence and through the motel. Yes. And the driver is just fucking dead. Oh, and for some reason, Charlotte is alive. Yes. They find her alive in like inside the truck, I think. And it's like, do I believe that this guy would have kept this chick alive all this time? No. No, and in the script, she actually, actually did die, yes. And... They hear as they're getting treated that he was an ice truck driver or something Some like that. Some guy working for an ice company. Yeah, and they're like, wait what? a minute, what did you say? And so they knew he wasn't actually dead. And then on the CB... Breaker, one nine, come on. Breaker, breaker, looking for a break. Westbound, I... How's that storm looking? raining out there. Looking forward to the storm. Keeps everyone inside. Washes everything clean. And that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the script continues on from there. Tell us. And he continues to fuck with them. I basically, he he manages to kidnap Lily Sobieski again. She gets thrown into the back of the truck with all the metal and the dead bodies. There's this whole lighting uh, uh, matches scene where she tries to keep matches lit and they, they keep going out. And then she realizes, oh, my God, it's a dead body or whatever. Uh-huh. But, yes, he does end up coming after them. And I for, there's more, more action shots. I forget exactly what they do, but they watch the coroner, which I don't know why they'd be allowed to take his fingers off. Cause it's something they say that he says that when there's a John Doe and they need to bury the John Doe, they remove the, the jaw and the fingers. So I guess they can identify him later or something like that. And they put him in a jar from aldehyde. And so he ripped that one guy's jaw off and left him in the road earlier. And now we see the coroner snipping his fingers off. Right. So they get some sort of satisfaction from watching this happen. And then they watch, the funeral, which there isn't one. They just bury the guy. They get it over with. But they're there and they watch it. And Steve Zahn says something to the effect of like, well, that's the best psycho killer funeral I've ever been to or something like that. And then that's like really the end of the movie. So there's still more action. Like, so if you could imagine how the movie does sort of devolve into this mindless, hard to track action, mm-hmm. that there's more of it. <laughs> it, it keeps going. Mm. Um, he Because he fakes his death, and then uses that. But instead, I think they set it up to where it's like a sequel. And there are more joy joy rides. Oh. Yes. I'm going to guess not with Paul Walker and Steve Zahn and Lily Sobieski. Joyride 2, Dead Ahead, has nobody I know. Yeah, I don't recognize anybody on this list. And then there's Joyride 3, Roadkill, which is straight to video. Yikes. Ken Kersinger. Yeah, nobody you know. <laughs> so it, was, it it's... They tried to franchise it. But apparently the movie had lots of different versions and they did lots of test screenings and I don't know why. It's unclear why they kept changing it. Hmm. Because by all, all accounts, the test screenings went well. Hmm. So I, I don't know. They've changed a lot. I think Charlotte died in one of those versions and then they had her live ultimately. But yeah. So if you saw a different version where different things happened, I don't know. Maybe. I, who knows? So what do you think Joyride has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I will say 73. 74, actually. So pretty good. Mm. 
a well-constructed B-movie thriller. I mean, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. Joyride keeps up the necessary level of tension and chills. Critics also like Zahn's performance as the goofball older brother. Yeah, his performance is great. Like I said, he is the best actor in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It has a Metacritic of 75, also close to that Rotten Tomatoes score, and a cinema score of B+. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I'm going to say overrated. Sure. But by how much? I will give it a 60. I think it's... I did not remember how much action was in it. Because I had fond memories of this movie. And unfortunately, you just really don't like Steve Zahn, even though he's the funniest part of the film. his character. Like, you like the actor, but you You love the actor. You don't like his character. Yeah. Paul Walker is pretty nothing in this movie. Yeah. It's just a pretty face. Um, I had you, man. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's just all I think about. When I think about Paul Walker's bad acting, I think about Fast and the Furious, and it's terrible. What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. You almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. Lily Sobieski is very meh. In this movie. Right. There's nothing for her to do. The best thing is Rusty Nail, and he, you don't ever see him. You, I mean, you do, but... And I feel like one of the lines that he says is an 80-yard. Yeah. I don't it's know. It's weird. Like, his voice changes as a result, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a 67. Okay. I think it's still definitely 60s. It is certainly not 70s caliber. But, I mean, there's there's stuff to like about it. But just recounting the story, you heard how much, like, we were kind of down on everything, mm-hmm. right? Like, it just sort of happened to work out that way. I There was just seems to be a lot more that stuck with me that I didn't like than stuff that stuck with me that I did, you know? And, I, I, like, all the good stuff about the movie, aside from just generally, again, Steve Zahn, whom you love, playing a character that you hate, which kind of sucks. You have the ice truck fake scare bookending on one side of all the action in this movie and then you have the ending that sort of devolves into fucking nonsense and everything in the middle is just a little kind of unremarkable so yeah i mean it's it's okay i would say so that's why it gets a 60s for me okay so that is our April Fool's episode on Pod Cemetery with movies that begin with practical jokes gone wrong. <laughs> what are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week, we are watching some haunted house movies because we just moved into a new house. So I yeah. thought that would be fun. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So we're going to watch 1977's The Sentinel, which I'd never heard of before. Apparently has a pretty killer cast. Yes. We were just reading through, and it's a whole hell of a lot of names. Yes. And then we're going to watch a recommendation, which I have wanted to watch for a very long time. Jeffrey, we're going to be watching another one of your recommended movies, The Innkeepers. I swear it just happened to work out that way. (laughs) We were going to do The Innkeepers, and Jeffrey's the only one who's recommended it. So get your recommendations in, folks. I mean, there's no guarantee we'll get to it, but... (laughs) Well, that's also, how we watch them. You got to tell us first. Yes. And we look we look for, like, I was like, I want to do a haunted house movie. So we looked at the haunted house movies that have been recommended to us. And Chris said The Innkeepers. And I was like, oh, I've wanted to see The Innkeepers for forever. So thank you, Jeffrey. And that's next week. 
All right. Haunted house movies with 1977's The Sentinel and 2011's The Innkeepers. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, you can always catch us at our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that, sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that, it's just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I miss Mom's chocolate chip cookies. Playing football with Dad on Sundays. Going to... Oh, wait. That was somebody else's childhood. I don't To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More than some fangs that are picking up incredible how many search engines don't know what you're talking about if you don't put the in front of a phrase it doesn't even find it if you just type in burning it's just nope this movie doesn't exist unless you type the burning and then it's like oh you mean the burning oh okay uh he explains that what he had was the ice thumper for the wheels um tire thumper sorry what the fuck ice thumper because he's the ice truck guy you have the ice cream truck not the ice cream Joyride, take it easy.